KaiFM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on KaiFM. And a bit of a slow week. Things are slowing down a little before the holidays. Not a lot of launches. Everyone's got their product out. However, Qualcomm, uh, the company that most people don't know, it used to be the same way with Intel. Qualcomm are pretty much the chip that runs the mobile world, apart from everything. I mean, they make chips, but they control absolutely everything to do with mobile in most respects. And in fact, you'll find their chips in, I would say, 80 to 90% of phones out there, apart from Apple phones. And interestingly enough, Huawei, who make their own processes. Anyway, Qualcomm had their uh, conference starting yesterday and running again today in Maui, of all places. Would have loved an invite to that. Never been to uh, Maui. It should be interesting. But anyway, um, probably a lot more convenient just to watch it on the internet. But they announced a whole slew of new things. And one of the key announcements was um, an always-on connected laptop using the Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 chip, which you find in Samsung phones, in Sony phones, in all sorts of phones. And in fact, that's exactly what it is. It is a mobile phone chip running a laptop, but here's where it gets super interesting. Those laptops will run Windows 10 the normal full version of Windows 10. So no changes made to the way you operate, no special apps needed, office runs, anything that will run on Windows 10 will run on these laptops. But there are a couple of massive advantages over these standard Intel laptops, not least being the price. They're about 30 to 40% cheaper than a semi-equivalent Intel-based PC. Um, but what is really interesting is that it actually will give you up to 20 hours of battery life and it also has a really interesting little feature. Because it's essentially a mobile phone chip, it's got a modem built in, it's got uh, cellular capabilities built in, and because it uses so little power in standby mode, something they've perfected in smartphones, um, it stays always on. So when you open the laptop, it's instantly on, all your emails are downloaded. You don't have to wait for anything. It's actually the closest crossover we've ever come between a smartphone and a laptop. And it makes a lot of sense. None of us uh, even think about it. You pick up your smartphone, you open up, you unlock it, and you look at your emails. And generally, they're right up to date. Sometimes they come instantly. Other times, they're there already. You don't even think about how that works. But on a laptop, it's always a whole other process. You open it up. It reboots, it restarts, you have to enter your password, which again is not a problem. Um, and then you have to open up your mail app, and then you have to wait a few seconds while you connect to a network somewhere or other, Wi-Fi, whatever it is. And then you push send receive, or it simply starts downloading all your various emails. All of that takes a lot of time. Well, Qualcomm and Microsoft with their latest version of can always connected laptops um, are promising a smartphone-type experience around that. And the first two companies announced their new ones was Asus, which is a Taiwanese company, really great laptops, I must tell you. I'll be playing some more with those in the nearish future. But Asus revealed what they call the Novago Always Connected Laptop. And it's a 13.3-inch uh, laptop convertible, so you can you know use it like a, a tablet. 
and it has an eSIM built in. In other words, you don't have to worry about putting a SIM in. You can simply connect it to a, a network, something that isn't here in South Africa yet, but it is coming from Vodacom, MTN, and all the other guys. They say it's coming probably early in 2018, mainly because the uh, Apple um, Watch has got an eSIM built in. And if you want to use the new generation Apple Watch with built-in connectivity, you need an eSIM. So that's all coming. But this particular unit is going to be 13.3 inches of touchscreen with the sort of 360-degree hinge. Comes with the Snapdragon 835 mobile PC platform built in, Windows 10, and an LTE modem with the eSIM, as I mentioned. Um, and it can take a normal SIM should you want to slip that in at some point. Probably for South Africa, they'll launch it here. What is interesting, that is going to be a sub 10,000 Rand laptop. Um, and the more fully spec one, 8 gig of RAM, 256 gig of storage, which is the hard drive, will probably be in the region of 14,000, 15,000 rand. So extremely um, well-priced and really amazingly specced. As I said, up to 20 hours of battery life. You just can forget about carrying your charger around. In a normal day, it's almost impossible to work on your laptop for a full 20 solid hours. Um, and in fact, you probably don't do more than 20 hours in three, four days. So you could almost charge this thing once a week, which is quite something for a laptop. Now, the next crowd who didn't want to get left out of that little party, they will probably see them from all the manufacturers, Acer, uh, Dell, all of them will release it. But HP also announced an NVX2 always connected PC, which is also using the Snapdragon 835 based PC. And it has the same sort of cellular modem, 20-hour battery life, 8 gig of memory. Um, it's also fanless. This is the other thing that's really cool. It has no fan. It has no um, uh, need for a fan, no need to charge, you know, to cool down because the chip is extremely efficient. You've never heard of a fan in a cell phone. Um, it also comes with around about a 13, it's actually a 12.3-inch touchscreen. And it's detachable, so it's actually a tablet convertible unit, which is becoming quite popular. So you can use it like a normal full tablet. Windows 10 has got actually a very useful tablet-enabled mode, which makes everything easy and friendly with fingers. You don't need a mouse. Um, and otherwise, you click it into a, a little keyboard with a stand, and it becomes a full-on laptop. As I said, we expect to see a lot more of these. It is quite a big shift in terms of how PCs worked and certainly will make them lighter, quieter, cheaper, and certainly haven't played with the performance, but all the indications are they'll perform extremely well compared to normal PCs. Uh, and uh, it brings a whole new dimension of always-on, always-connected, simple-to-use, slick-and-easy laptops um, at, at, at pretty good pricing. So roll-on Qualcomm and Microsoft. I think this is really quite a big change, and we now got laptops that behave like cell phones, which is never a terrible thing. Now, before we take our quick uh, break for, you know, to pay the bills with the ad, something else really uh, interesting crossed my desk this morning, and that is Nissan. Nissan, the car manufacturer, are finally going to be testing in real life in Tokyo, no, um, no sort of hands-on robot taxis. Now, it would make sense that a place to do it, and this is really a first commercial launch, in a way, 
in the world. Basically, what Nissan have done is they've created a whole range of robots, well, a whole range. They've created a whole bunch of um, taxis. And through a special Dina uh, app that you download on your phone, you can, they call it Easy Ride, but the, the app is called Dina. You won't be able to find it in South Africa. But essentially, what a customer does is select a recommended local destination, uh, a sightseeing route, with planned support in multiple languages. So it's not only going to be for Japanese people. Anyone who, um, you know, any tourist in that can hire their robot taxi and set it off with uh, absolutely no problem. So no driver, totally uh, autonomous vehicle, uh, available on hire from uh, from Nissan. So the future, without question, is, is absolutely here. And we're going to see more and more of this. There's no question about that. But it's just so interesting, you know, we predicted the rise of autonomous cars by 2020. And here we are, 2018, two years ahead of the curve. Nissan um, is actually launching, I wouldn't call it a commercial because it is a trial. I'm not sure they'll even charge for it at this point. But if you download the app and you're in Tokyo and, you, and you're within any sort of area that has been designated for Nissan to test these robo-taxis, you can just hail one and a car will drive up just like science fiction, completely and utterly like science fiction. A car will drive up, stop right where you are with your smartphone and its app, and uh, probably the door will open, <laughs> again, just like the movies, in your hop, and it'll drive off or do whatever you tell it to do per the app. It's quite, quite something. I'm I'm totally keen to hop into one of those. I know a lot of people who are dead scared. They'll, there's no way they're hopping into a car without any human driver. But anyway, Nissan, kudos to Nissan for getting this off the ground and getting it out there. And as a proof of concept, it's certainly going to bring an amazing amount of interest to the world and uh, certainly a lot of learning to Nissan in terms of how autonomous works in a place that's as busy as Tokyo. And we will be back right after this. Hi FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And we have more computer news. Obviously, funny how it seems to work that way. Sometimes we do cell phones, sometimes we do computers. But it's been a big week for computers. Um, Huawei, that other little Chinese company, have decided, you know what, they've done a great job at bringing smartphones at really good prices with all the latest tech and um you know, totally competitive with everything else out there, marketed it like mad. I mean, now you know what Huawei is. Well, guess what? They're trying to enter into a new market. And that new market is laptops. Now, they've had laptops for a while. I saw them. They launched some of them last year. And I've seen the new ones already launched at IFA in September of 2017 this year. And they've just not brought them to South Africa for whatever reason. And it, it was a bit upsetting because I must say that the quality of these laptops uh, is pretty exceptional. It's certainly as well built as any other laptop that I've seen uh, anywhere else and from any other manufacturer. And they've brought two models, which they're now finally launching in South Africa, and you will be able to get them pretty much anywhere that you can buy a Huawei product and incredible connection and any of these places. And it's called the MateBook X and the, and the Huawei MateBook E. 
And both of them have some really interesting advances. Now, we spoke about all the new Qualcomm-based chips with no fans. Well, here we go, our Intel-based laptops also with no fans. So it's a standard Intel-type laptop, but it's slim, using something they call phase change material. So in other words, as it heats up, it does some technical trickery and removes heat from the processor extremely efficiently without burning your your uh, your knees because you've got your laptop there or singeing the desk. And I've seen it. It works extremely well. So they Core i5 or Core i7 processors with up to 512 gigabytes of storage, 8 gig of RAM. So totally competitive in all respects. But what they do throw is the same quality of manufacture and construction that you see in their phones. So it's all aluminium, beautifully finished, amazing quality screens, uh, as well as construction that certainly is comparable to everything else out there. Now, that MacBook X is standard-ish 13 uh, inch screen, completely fanless design with a massive screen to body ratio. That's another thing that's become a big thing. The good old days with these thick bezels around which made your laptops clunky and large, gone. You've now pretty much got a laptop that's as big as its screen. Um, where that has created some small compromise is on the keyboard, though the new ones are pretty good with a massive touchpad. So all in all, very Apple-ish looking, <laughs> which is something the Chinese seem to do an exceptionally good job. But this really is an exceptionally interesting laptop. It's going to be selling from around 20 to 25,000 Rand, which is not cheap, but it's super competitive for all the features. It's got a fingerprint reader, full touch screen, high resolution screen, long 14 to 15 hours battery life. It's just really an interesting device beautifully made and really clever. The MateBook E, on the other hand, is an elegant-looking two-in-one. In fact, when you see the two side-by-side, side, they look very similar. But the MateBook E pops apart, and you get a full-on tablet with a really high-quality touchscreen, super slim, super easy to use. Uh, again, Windows 10 does a great job on uh, tablets now. And uh, when you dock it to the keyboard, you get extra battery life, and, of course, you get a whole keyboard which you can use and it becomes a really full-on um, lap, you know, laptop which also can be used in a type of tent mode. So I played with them very briefly. They've got all the features you would expect from a laptop. They are certainly extremely competitive with everything out there from HP and Dell. The only real question I had, and they say they will be dealing with that, is that the distribution is being done through a major distributor called Mustek will handle service and support, and they've got presence pretty much across most of South Africa. So that was the only area that I thought, being a new player in this space, maybe they wouldn't have quite the same sort of service and support as the known brands, the HPs and the Dells. But they seem to have got that one covered. And it's just really, really, really interesting to see that despite the fact that laptops have gone off the boil in the recent past, not quite as much excitement going on there. I mean, I used to get a couple of laptops a month to play with and review. Now I get uh, one or two a year. And um, it's all about smartphones. But here, Huawei have taken some of the, the advances and some of the smartness and the coolness that you see in all the latest smartphones, rolled it into laptops, and they're trying to make it's make the laptop as cool in many ways as a um, 
as a smartphone. And for the most part, in terms of construction quality, the screen quality, um, the whole way it works, the instant on type ability, they've done a really, really credible job in terms of how this all works. And uh, I, I think these are going to be pretty successful laptops. So check them out if you're in the market for a new laptop. The RAND being where it is, and hopefully it stays where it is or gets a bit better in the next couple of weeks. Um it certainly looks like a compelling idea. So look out for them. They're the MateBook X and the MateBook E, available pretty much everywhere. And um, I will try to get one of each to review and uh, let you know what I think. But I can tell you from initial um, playing with them both, they really are fine, fine, fine products running standard Windows 10, which means you can do anything you want with them in terms of the Windows world. And they're super competitive in terms of looks, feel, and construction with the Apple products, which have always been the market leader in sort of subcompact laptops. So that's Huawei. Now, moving on to uh, some other interesting news, um, and it's part of the whole Qualcomm announcement. Qualcomm also announced at their little conference, the Snapdragon conference, that the new 845 is going to be released early in 2018. Now, the 835 is the one that's uh, running all the new laptops that have just launched, and probably those will upgrade in the next couple of months to an 845. But the 845 from Snapdragon is going to be one of their first chips to incorporate some form of um, augmented or machine or artificial intelligence, if you want to call it that. Um, Huawei, with their Kirin 730, sort of pipped everyone with the announcement of that smart chip with with um, artificial intelligence built in. And I must say, the first phone I played with using that chip, being the Mate 10 Pro, certainly does show how, what a huge leap these sort of smart chips can bring. I mean, it is without question the fastest Android phone I've ever used. It's smoother and faster than pretty much anything else out there on the market. And it has features that are just not possible if you weren't if you did not have the processing capability like on-device voice recognition and voice translation in collaboration with uh, Microsoft, I've tried that app, and it's pretty spectacular. You can switch the phone right off and do voice translation. So when you're traveling and you haven't got an internet connection, you don't want to roam, it works like a charm. But the 845 is certainly going to be the first of the new Qualcomm chips that has that same sort of capability and expect to see them all over the new phones in the new year. It's crazy how quickly the technology is advancing in all this space and how quickly it moves. So keep your eyes open. Um, if you're not in the market for a new phone now, by April, May next year, expect to see the new Samsung S line with a Qualcomm Snapdragon 845 on board. Um, they all have their own. You know, uh, Samsung also make their own chips. So... They often don't release the Snapdragon chip in South Africa. They release their own their own chips in South Africa, which are equivalent in many respects. So expect to see AI in everything in 2018. Now, moving on to something that really is interesting. You may or may not have heard that Vumatel, and who hasn't heard of Vumatel? They are the people who do fiber to the home pretty much across the country. Certainly have revolutionized my internet usage along with everyone else's. I mean, uh, quad HD or 4K um streaming video just becomes a thing you can do, which you can't do on anything other than fiber, are offering 100 megabits per second fiber commercially to the whole of Alexandra Township. And they're doing it at a price of 89 Rand per month. 89 Rand a month, uncapped, 100 meg fiber. 
uh, I'm paying a significant amount more than that. But there are a couple of caveats. One, they believe it's a great business model. The density in a place like Alexandra is huge. And they are talking about a contention ratio of 20 to 1. So in other words, each 100 meg of capacity will be shared with up to 20 people at any one time. So the worst, worst case scenario um, is that you'll get something in the region of a 5 meg connection consistently rather than a 100 meg connection. But in general, the chances of all 20 people all connecting and all downloading at exactly the same time, you're probably talking about a 20 to 30 meg connection per household um, in the region for 89 rand a month. And they really, they say that this is not a charity thing. This is a pure, smart commercial decision. They're going to be running the cables above the, above, uh, above on poles. So they're not digging them into the ground. They'll drop a connection down to every little house, wherever you are. As I said, up to 20 people will share one connection. You'll be able to get an inexpensive little Wi-Fi unit, which considering the density and the size of the, of the homes in Alexandra certainly would run really well. And I think it's just brilliant because it will bring high-speed connectivity to an area that really needs it at a price, 89 Rand, considering you could spend that easily. The average ARPU on a cell phone is between 70 and 90 Rand a month. This is pretty transformative stuff. And... Um, who knows how it'll work out, but I think they've really hit on something interesting. And if it's successful, the trial is in Alexandra and it's starting now, they expect to connect an additional two and a half million homes in high density township environments in the next two years. And just do the numbers. Uh, this has always been a numbers game. Just do the numbers. It is quite remarkable how much you can change things and how much money you can actually make by actually delivering massive high-speed fiber to people at ridiculously low prices. And on that note, we're going to break and we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe, which uh, I don't have a, a guest this week, but I'm going to certainly be talking about some interesting stuff and some gizmos and gadgets. So we'll be back straight after this. High FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome to Tech Talk Cafe, and with us, not quite in the studio, but in the CTICC in Cape Town, where we're at the Lenovo Innovation Summit, is Dilip Bhatia. Now, he has got a long title. He's the VP of Marketing, User, and Customer Experience, which is quite a broad sort of title. Tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit about what uh, Lenovo does, because I'm sure most people have heard of you, but it's nice to get a sense of you know, from the inside of what you guys are on about. Sure. I mean, my long title, in essence, is really about the customer at the end of the day. How are we delivering optimal uh, products for our customers? We collect a lot of user insights. How do we deliver a great user experience? And how do we deliver a great experience from an end-to-end -end perspective? Do the customers know about our brand? Do the time they purchase our products? Uh, to the time uh, they use our products? How, how are we delivering an optimal customer experience overall? Now, a little bit about Lenovo. We're almost a $45 billion company. That's rather large. It is large. Uh, 55,000 employees, presence in 160 different countries. Uh, so a very big company overall. And we're comprised of uh, three different divisions. The PC division roughly accounts for about 70% uh, of the group. We also have a mobile phone group, which was acquired from Google to Motorola 
uh, phone division, and then we have a data center group, uh, which is basically our Lenovo server and the IBM x86 business that we purchased a couple of years ago. So those are really the three businesses that account for about $45 billion in revenue for us. That's quite a significant footprint. And I mean, in the technology space, you guys are, are pretty active across a whole host, mobile, tablet, PC, laptop, servers, all these different things. And as you mentioned, you know, the, the um, data center hardware that makes all these huge sort of, we'll talk about cloud in a minute, but all those sort of things work. So how do you, you, you measure your customer stuff across such a broad variety of things? Isn't it just a huge undertaking? It is. Um, it is a pretty big company. Um, but the way to be successful is, and that's why we have, we have or, we're organized by uh, business divisions. So, for example, in the PC division, we have, um, you know, f- segments that are very much focused on the customer. So we have a consumer segment that's responsible for truly understanding the customer, who our consumers are, and how do we design solutions around them. We have a small business segment. We have an enterprise segment, for example, that looks after the ThinkPad business, and their sole mission is to understand from an end-to-end perspective. So, so from a business point of view, they will try to understand exactly what a business user would want. Exactly. And, and how different that is from, a, let's say, a normal consumer who just wants to you yeah. know, do Facebook, for example. Yeah, so in the, in, the, uh, in, in the enterprise space, our primary customers obviously are end users, but we also talk to a lot of CIOs and a lot of IT managers. They're not purchasing one PC at a time. They're purchasing a fleet of devices. They're purchasing a couple thousand ThinkPads, or they're purchasing monitors, they're purchasing docks. Whereas a consumer customer, they're going to a, a retail store to purchase a unit of one, or a small business store is purchasing a couple of PCs at a time. So it's really the responsibility of the segments to truly understand who are the customer, what are the requirements, what are their pain points, and so on. And same thing with the mobile handset and the data center. Even in the data center business, we have multiple segments that are truly focused on their customer set to understand. And that's how you run this $45 billion to truly get to closer to the customer. Because a company of that scale, it's actually very easy to lose sight of, of what's going on at the ground, for example. So you try to make sure that that never happens within the various segments. Exactly. And then part of, I'm part of the PC group. And mm-hmm. so part of the PC group, I provide a lot of customer insights into the different segments. Let's discuss a couple of those things. Yeah. Because it must be really interesting to find out. Because you, we've all got our likes and dislikes yeah. and wants. And sometimes we don't know what we want. Yep. But you guys must do a lot of research and work around what it is that people use their stuff for absolutely, and, and what they do on them. Absolutely. So, for example, um, and I talked about it this morning, uh, we, t- we have a, uh, a dashboard, what I call Customer Insights Dashboard. And the reason I created this dashboard was uh, I used to run the product division. I used to run ThinkPad a couple of years back. And when I would launch products, I would want to know how my PC is doing. What do people think about it? Do I have a positive sentiment or do I have a negative sentiment on my product? So this tool that I have actually uh, uses big data analytics and I can grab a lot of data on the website and I can easily decide if a particular model has a positive sentiment or a negative sentiment. And that's based on all the comments and reactions. All the comments. They say, I love this ThinkPad or I don't like my trackpad, right? I wish I had that feature. The little rubber dot keeps disappearing. (laughs) Right. So any, really anything that's being said on the internet about our products, we capture that data. And then I give that data to the product manager and every product manager knows what do people like about the device, what they not like about it, and what do they wish for. So it's very effective. So when you're designing the next generation product, you take those insights. 
Another area, another thing that we have is I've got a panel of about 7,000 consumers that I can go to any time and ask for feedback. I've got about a panel of about 5,000 for commercial customers. So if I want to figure out, hey, do I put this feature or that feature, I can get direct feedback. You can actually and test it them. before you, you even get You can test it before you decide to put it on the product, right? And how much are you willing to pay for Right, so would you be willing to pay more for this feature? So I can decide is this feature worth it or it isn't. Right, so we get a lot of those insights from the panel. We do also do ethnographic research. So recently we just finished an ethnographic research of gamers. Gaming is a hot trend these days. Absolutely, right? everyone's talking gamers, about every, gaming. Every, exactly, and so we decided, okay, in order to understand gamers, we followed about two dozen gamers into their houses to see how are they using our laptops, what's their lifestyle like, what time of the day do they game, you know, what games do they play, right, uh, you know, it, just even their setup, their environment, the table, and you learn so much just by doing that ethnographic piece of research, right, we've done ethnographic research for our commercial customers, for first-time users in India and China, right, so those are all tools that we have available to truly understand who the customers are, so that when we design our products, we have those insights as we design the products. And and how much of that, plus the trends that we spoke about this morning, are changing what we're seeing? And what are, what are our listeners going to see in the next couple of years? What's going to change? We're all used to the current computers and what they look like, and laptops get thinner, they get slightly thicker, they get this bump, that bump. What are the big trends? What's changing out there, and what are we going to see in the next yeah. couple of years? So this is really a fascinating time to be in this industry, right? To me, uh, it's like the car industry in the 1950s and 60s. There is no one-size-fits-all. Well, they fits got all. rid of the wings. Right? <laughs> right? There is no one-size-fits-all. So you're seeing a plethora of devices, right? And as I said, it is no longer about the personal computer, right? It's about personalized computing. Right, so we'll have to unpack that a little because yes. it sounds a little yeah. too close. Sure. So, pers- what I mean by cons- uh, personalized computing, we all have multiple devices around us, right? You have a smartphone. Everybody has a smartphone these days, right? Uh, the example I give is when I am sitting in my house and watching a ball game, I always have a tablet next to me. So, if I want to look up a player's stats and so on, I pull out my tablet. When I'm at work, I'm using my t- ThinkPad all the time, right? And I'm getting uh, my productivity done any 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 time. Uh, when I'm in my kitchen, I'm using Alexa, right, to basically be able to. So I'm surrounded by technology, and I'm using the right uh, device at the right time. That works for you. That works at for that me, time. right? So it's not like I pull up my PC for everything. I use my PC when I have to do my work, but if I want to just find out the weather, if I want to find out a score, I can do that with uh, with the Alexa uh, offering. So that's what I mean by personalized computing. We all have multiple devices, and uh, there is no one size fits all. It's like it's like clothing. If it rains outside, you put on your rain jacket. If it's summer outside, it's hot, you put on your shorts, right? So depending on what it is, you put on the appropriate clothing. Uh, computing is very similar. You're using the right, uh, you want to use the right product at the right time, right? There is no one-size-fits-all, and that's what I mean by personalized computing. That's brilliant. So, so the day of having the one PC on the desk or the one PC in the house are long gone. We're it's now talking gone. about about multiple computing multiple devices. devices. Yeah. And are the prices and the, the utility reflecting that? Because in in many ways, a good PC is still a bit of an investment. You know, you have to spend a lot of money on something. And people might say, well, you know what, it's all great to have all these multiple devices, but we need one great device for the house, for example. Yeah, I mean, for the house, uh, again, I don't think there is uh, one-size-fits-all these days. Right, and uh, you still need a good PC, and it's like the car industry, right? You have cars that are much cheaper, but you know what you're getting for, 
and you pay more, you get a better product. And PCs are just like the same. You get PCs as low as 199 US dollars to all the way up to a couple thousand gaming PC that you can buy, right? So the price range is, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can go up to $5,000. So it's just like, just like the car industry, right? What kind of experience you want? What are you trying to go do? What is your objective at the end of the day? A gamer is going to buy a high-end PC, but maybe you know somebody who's just look, doing their emails, they don't need a fancy computer. They just need something basic that gets the job done. And there's a lot of talk. I mean, you hear about it that the, the age of the PC is over and it's all about mobile. How do you guys see that? I mean, that must be quite something that you've looked at and actually researched quite extensively. We have. And I believe the PC is not going away. It's going to be one of the many form factors that you have. When I say form factor, uh, I say... Yeah, I'm we're talking about PC, either a desktop or even a laptop, a standard Windows-based or Apple-based Yeah, and, and if you look PC. at it, just in the last few years, the PCs have transformed. It's not like the PC is going away. The PC is always going to be there. Is it going to grow 10 20%? No. But it's going to be a few percentage on and off. The market is still pretty significant. You know, we're still talking about 250 uh, to 300 million devices. And Lenovo is still number one. If you combine, look at the tablet market and the PC market, we're still the number one player and we're growing uh, overall. So to me, the, uh, the, if you look at the PC market, it, only in the last few years, we were the first ones to come out with the yoga form factor. Nobody those has that. the ones that the one, fold, fold over right, and stand up right? and all do those that Those didn't exist five years ago. So once we brought out now, it's a very common thing all over the place. Detachables didn't exist, right? Today, detachables are existing because technology makes it uh, able to do that. And I think that pace of innovation is only going to continue. So you think we're going to see even more interesting form factors and different types of How about flexible displays? Well, this is, I was expecting to see one here today. <laughs> so we have uh, concepts, prototypes, right? The technology is not ready yet. Just like uh, tablets weren't mainstream to touch technology became, till SSDs became affordable at a price point. And once those confluence of uh, technologies or building blocks, as I call them, came together, you had tablets all of a sudden, right? So I think- At a price that people could price. afford. Exactly. And, and that same thing is going to happen. You're going to start to see flexible devices, flexible uh, uh, tablets in the near future. That's quite a big change. I mean, to have something that's sort of roll up and put in your pocket or roll up and put under the desk type of thing. It's still a couple of years away. No, but, fair enough. Yes. But, but, the, so, but the utility, the stuff that we do on these particular devices is not going to change that fundamentally. We're still going to be doing some form of either productivity or leisure computing at different ways. And with the growth of this Internet of Things and everything being connected, and even in South Africa we're seeing an explosion of high-speed you know, um, connectivity to the home, how is that going to change what you guys are seeing as the sort of tech computing environment? So it, it will change the way uh, we use PCs. It will change the way uh, in our everyday lives, right? So in future, cars are going to be you know, automated. And today you can already see they're autonomous, uh, self-driving capabilities, right? And you walk into your home, you have, these, uh, every, you have these smart devices. You have computing really all around you in the near future. And the thing about it is you don't have to pull out a PC. You don't have to pull out a smartphone. It's ambient, Right, where you so can it just talk exists to, in it your just environment. Exists. It's just like heat. It's just like air. It, <laughs> computing is all around you, and it's available for you. It's really about those three things, I, as I talked about today. Is it what is it that really matters to customers at the end of the day? And what really matters, as we've done all our research, it's really time. 
People want to save time. They want to be effective. They don't want to be wasting time. And it's really comforting. And you want to be bogged down they in, don't the, want to in the tech itself. Exactly. You, technology for the technology's sake is useless, right? I just want to get my work done, right? So I want to be able to save time. I want to be able to use the technology anytime, anywhere. And at the end of the day, it's all about connection. It's about a human connection. How do we connect with each other, whether you're in the office or whether you're at home, being able to connect with each other. And that's what really matters. And as long as that, and that's what Lenovo was focused on, those three things uh, in terms of what matters. And if our technology addresses those three areas, we're doing the right things. Isn't there a danger in that, that the technology itself sort of takes a back step and brands become less and less important because, you know, the, the technology is just assisting us rather than being something you actually look at, touch and feel. Will that change the way that we approach the brand such as Lenovo? Or do you see that as still an important factor? I think brand is still important, right? When I look at uh, Net Promoter Score as as a customer satisfaction, brand is really one of the top drivers, uh, quality. So brand to me is never going to go away, right? People trust brands versus white boxes, right? So, So that level of trust happens between a user and technology, and brands are key to that. And if you look at some of the top brands today, whether it's a Starbucks or whether it's a Marriott, right, uh, people expect, you know, they certain trust the things brand. from it. Exactly. They expect certain things from it. And that'll always, the brands will, 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 never diminishes. But isn't that also a challenge for Lenovo? I mean, you're active in particular areas right now, but technology itself is becoming more and more distributed, more a little bit more diverse. You've got the Alexa voice assistant, and obviously our friends at Amazon are pushing that very hard. They do the hardware, they do the software, they do everything. Um, But how does that affect or impact a company like Lenovo that's been fairly focused, as we discussed early, in three sort of major segments? Are you guys going to have to expand? Are you going to have to cross-pollinate amongst them to do stuff? Uh, Absolutely. We we may have to do different things, but we we can't lose sight of the customer. Right. At the end of the day, we're Switzerland, whether they want to use Cortana or whether they want to use uh, Alexa. Totally neutral. Or totally neutral, right? At the, at the end of the day, how do I provide the right service for what my customers expect? If they want Alexa, I want to give that to them. If they want to use Cortana or they want to use Google, we're completely, we're Switzerland here, right? <laughs> and we want to provide the best technology for them that they, that they expect. But from your point of view, I mean, you guys obviously have done a lot of thinking there. Is the voice interface going to become a significant factor into in in the interaction between you and your PC, your tablet, and your phone in the next couple of years? It will be. Uh, I think voice will play a, a big part uh, going forward in the future. Simple things like open up a document or pull up a presentation or what's the weather or pull up the song or pull up the stats. You can do with voice so much more. It's just so much more natural versus being able to type it in. So today it, it's still in its infancy. And I expect voice will become a major part of how you engage with technology. And is that, you know, it's got pretty sophisticated right now. How far away from are we from that reality? A year, two years? I'm not asking you to predict, but just to give a sense of, you know, you're working in it every day. So you must have a feel for at what point will it become ubiquitous and easy? You won't have to worry about it. It's still, I would say, at least a couple of years away. Okay. Right? It's still not there yet. Uh, the accuracy level is still at uh, 95 96%. Once it gets to 98 99%, it becomes... I mean, today I can already do that, right? With my phone, I can talk into it in my Motorola. I can say, okay, Google, and boom, it does it. Right? <laughs> Don't do that. All the phones here will start talking to you. Exactly. So, I, I, for sending out text messages, yeah. I always use voice, right? There's no reason for me to type in. I can't remember the last time I used 
uh, to type uh, for a text message. It's actually very interesting because there's no question the last, I'm playing with some of the latest technology here, some of it beta, but the, the ability and the, and the smarts yep. of the voice recognition technology is getting, coming along in leaps and bounds. So it's not far off that you'll be able to. I mean, that Alexa thing, I've also got one at home, and it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. You want to watch is. a movie, you want to ask the weather, it keeps telling me the weather in Seattle, but there's reasons <laughs> for that. But it, it is really come a long, long way. Yes, it has. And from just coming back, because we've got a few seconds left here, coming back to Lenovo, the new products that you're showcasing, I mean, obviously there's a lot of enterprise stuff here and there's a lot of server stuff, which is back-end. But the consumer stuff, you focused very clearly, it seems, on, on innovative form factors. And any other factors that you found are really key that customers specifically are looking for in your products that you're responding to right now? You're specifically talking about consumer? Consumer products, yeah. Yeah, so at the end of the day, when we've done all our research, I mean, as I shared the number one topic that was discussed as an example on all the forums is something as simple as displays. That's, you mentioned that this morning. Right. And, and in fact, the, the corporates are the ones that are holding you back. Yes, they are, right? For price. For price sake. But customers expect a great display. You can get a great display on a phone. Why can't I get that on my PC? So, yeah, you don't want a sharp uh, cell phone and this fuzzy, grainy, horrible PC when you get to work. Yeah, so we're looking at, obviously, you know, how do I provide this great user experience? How do I make sure that the, the trackpad experience or the display experience, we have great battery life uh, in our product? Something as simple as that to provide, hey, what's the optimal VR solution, AR solution, right? Because customers don't know what they don't know. And technology is moving so fast. AR augmented reality is the next hottest thing out there. And, and that's what the, we back to brand. They trust Lenovo to come up with what people would, what they'd like Absolutely. in that space. Absolutely. There's so much innovation going on. We, we, we were the first ones to bring out an AR-ready uh, Fab2 pro, uh, pro phone with Google's Tango technology. And that's at a very early stage proof of concept, right? You'll start to see a lot more AR coming out in the next couple of years. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Can you believe 20 minutes just flew by sure talking <laughs> tech? But it was wonderful to speak to you, and thank you for all your insights, and I'm sure we'll chat again fairly soon. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And that was just an interesting chat with Dilip Bhatia from Lenovo. He certainly raises some interesting things. Watch the space. And as I said, this seems to be our um, laptop edition and or notebook or tablet, whatever you want to call it. Um, and my pick of the week, my, my um, gadget of the week for that matter, is the new Dell XPS 13. Now, Dell launched the XPS 13 over three years ago. In fact, nearly four years ago, if I remember correctly. And the the new the XPS range from Dell has always been their high-end, top-of-the-range uh, laptop with prices to match, starting in the U.S. at around about $1,000 and going up, depending on the spec. And in South Africa, unfortunately, again, our RAND has definitely not assisted any in terms of the pricing and what goes on, but somewhere from about 27,000 rand up to about 40,000 rand, again, depending on memory, hard drive size, processor spec. But what Dell have done essentially is update this laptop every single year to bring it right up to date and right up to spec. And the latest version, which I had to give back, unfortunately, I only had it for a couple of weeks for review, 
uh, is without question the very best XPS that I've played with to date. There were a couple of issues in originally. The screen was great, but perhaps not the best in the in the field. And we'll talk about the screen in a few minutes. The other thing that really annoyed me, and I just found a bit of a problem, was the touchpad. It was quirky. It sometimes worked exceptionally well. Other times it didn't respond to your fingers. It was slightly small. It was just... In, in, in all the excellence that the XPS was, the, the touchpad or the trackpad was really something that just irritated and, and reduced the uh, sort of utility of the device considerably for me. Coming from um, using uh, Apple laptops, you know, the, 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 the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, their touchpads are just so exceptionally good. It was just such a jarring thing to move to one that did not respond, was difficult to use, had no gesture control. Well, the good news is Dell in their latest 2017 XPS 13 have completely and utterly nailed it. They've increased the size of the touchpad They've improved its performance immeasurably. It is a joy to use. It's simple. It's fast. It has gesture control. It responds beautifully. It just changes everything. But also with Windows 10, you've got the ability to have a touchscreen. And the new XPS 13 throws a brilliant touchscreen into the mix. Now, the screen itself is what they call the infinity display. It simply has no bezel. There's no surround. So basically, the XPS 13 is a 13-inch screen in a 12-inch or even 11 and a bit inch body. It's small, small, small. It's compact. It's really just a pleasure to carry around. It's surprisingly lighter than pretty much any other laptop I've used. It's got a wedgy sort of aluminium, titanium look that is high quality, easy to use. The one thing they haven't got right, which funny enough, Apple do, if you put the, the laptop down on a table and you put your finger in the center of the screen and lift it up, the Apple's open every time exactly without any problem. The Dell, you actually need to use two fingers. Hold down the bottom, touch the top, and pull it apart. Silly little thing, simple thing, but the Apple runs OS X, so it lives in its own universe, and some people absolutely love it, unlike me, who then puts Windows 10 on his MacBook Pro, but that's a story for another time. But the XPS lives at the top end of the Windows field. There's no question that this is an absolutely premium Windows machine in build quality, in tech ability. It has the latest Core i7 processor, so we're talking 14 hours of battery life, and I tried. I really tried to get this thing to die on me. It doesn't. It goes through a full day with the absolute ease travel with it. I've even been on a trip overnight to Cape Town, left my charger at home, used it on the plane, used it while I was there, used it the next day, used it on the plane back, and it still had battery life when I got back to the office. So the combination of a slightly larger battery than before, uh, the latest generation Core i7 processors, certainly, and a very high-quality, low-power screen has definitely transformed the laptop. It has massive battery life, and it changes the way that you operate. You don't have to worry. I see people running into cafes looking for places with plugs, finding an office. You know, it's just crazy. A laptop with a, that you've got to plug into a wall, it doesn't make sense. Also, I found that the Wi-Fi experience has improved dramatically, connected every time to every single hotspot that I tried. It was fast. It was really excellent. The other thing I must say, the new screen 
which is um, a 13.3 inch. The one I tried was the Quad HD, so very high resolution. They do make ones with lower resolution, but the Quad HD is an absolute pleasure. Again, slight problems with certain older programs which do not display really well on very high resolution screens. But overall, all the new browsers Office, um, Windows 10 itself is highly optimized for very high resolution screens. And we definitely, um, you can absolutely see the quality. Sharp, never pixelated, very bright, excellent for doing, um, you know, work on photos and whatnot. So really one of the nicest screens that I've worked with. And although you, I haven't really lived with a, a touchscreen laptop for years. I found that very quickly the combination of a really sensitive touchscreen do carry one of those camera cloths around because fingerprints on the screen just tend to annoy me. But uh, you get very used to touching the screen using a combination of gestures, mouse, and um, the screen to operate and it becomes really quick and clean and easy and I must say that Windows 10 again have done a, a really smart job of working with touch screens. Most things work really well. You can even set your office to tablet mode, your office programs which gives you nice big finger friendly ways to operate it. So all in all a really smart combination of um, you know, the various technical bits. The one thing that the XPS 13's got over a MacBook Pro and others, it comes with standard uh, connectors. It's got USB-C, but it also has a standard USB 3, which is the big old USB connectors. Um, and it comes with USB-C, which is the new connectors that the MacBook Pros, all the phones are using, along with a high-speed charger. So you can charge really quickly. It's very easy to do. You can even charge from an external battery. So I carry around a USB-C 10,000 milliamp battery, which gives me about 60% charge on, on something like a MacBook Pro or the XPS 13. So I can charge my phone. I can charge my laptop. Um, pretty much never need to worry about carrying a, a charger with me wherever I go. So, But that's a, um, a really big, big improvement. It's also got an SD card reader. So if you want to plug in your camera stuff, whatever, it works like an absolute bomb. Um, the one interesting thing it's got is a camera that sits below the screen above the keyboard, which is a bit awkward. So if you use it for VoIP uh, and for Skype or whatever it is, you tend to get a very chin look to everything unless you sit further back. But still, it's an upward look, which is not a problem. It also doesn't incorporate one of the latest uh, inventions, which is face recognition from Microsoft, which allows you to unlock your PC using your face, which is something now uh, our dear friends at Apple are doing with the iPhone 10 or the X, as some people call it. But all in all, um, this is still one of the top laptops. There have been some talk out there that it's getting long in the tooth and it's about time that uh, Dell change the look and improve it or whatever. But I think they've absolutely picked the right thing. This this laptop's aimed, aimed at the business user. It's aimed at people who want high-end, high-quality product without all the frills, bells, whistles, and whatnot um, that come, you know, that generally detract from the ability of many things to, to deliver exactly what they want. So if you're in the market for one of the best high-quality laptops which runs Windows um, effortlessly, I must add, I would recommend you go for the 8-gig uh, memory with a 256 minimum 
uh, hard drive, 512 would be better. But generally, using the connectivity that we have available these days, you do not need to have massive hard drives on your laptops. You do not need to have a one terabyte super slow. I'd much rather go for a fast SSD, and this uses the latest version of the SSD, the M.2, which is built onto the motherboard. Incredibly fast transfer ratio, so it makes things snappy. It boots instantly. Uh, programs load in a blink. It's just an absolute pleasure to use. And you really, you can never go back to an old hard drive which takes forever to load anything. So if you need to, you can carry an external drive again. You don't have to worry about using an adapter. It's got a standard USB uh, port so you can plug in an external high capacity hard drive if you have lots of photos, lots of music, a lot of movies that you want to do, which I know adds a little bulk to your bag. But Essentially, the benefits of having a really fast SSD and a really compact, high-quality laptop far outweighs any capacity issues you may have. And a 256-gig SSD is more than enough to have all your programs, more than your work, all the sort of work stuff that you're using or a couple of movies for a plane or whatever it is that you want to do. And it certainly does change the way that uh, everything works. What's also interesting... Um, is they've made it actually lighter than the previous models. I don't know how quite they got that one right, but it absolutely does compete really well with the other high-end laptops from HP, um, Apple, and all the guys. So if we're in the market, as I said, right now for a great laptop, I have no doubt there'll be a 2018 model in the next couple of months, but this one certainly has the latest chip, super efficient, great battery life, snappy, snappy, Great video uh, capacity, not quite good enough to play games. I, I tried one or two games on there. It did struggle a little on the higher resolution settings, but it's not designed as a gaming laptop. It's a built-in Intel processor with uh, its own matching uh, video processor, and it certainly is as good as a mid-range separate processor, but no better. So you know, it's not a gaming machine, but for absolutely everything else, videos, movies, massive spreadsheets, whatever it is you want to do on it. This is an absolute workhorse of a laptop, a pleasure to use, um, great battery life, fast, superb screen, probably one of the best in the industry. And overall, great job from uh, Dell. It's familiar looking, and but you have to specify. If you're looking for it, ask for the 2017 version, which has the latest technology all built in. And on that note, we'll be back straight after this. High FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And to wrap up the show this week, I've just got two apps. Or, well, they're both in the same space, but two apps that are indispensable, especially for those lazy holiday uh, days where you really just want to stay in your shorts and not get in the car, not do anything, and not go to a restaurant, but still eat restaurant food and have a good time generally when you're having a holiday. Now, whether that's Johannesburg, Durban, along the coast, and in Cape Town, there are two apps that really, really have um, transformed the way that we do takeout. One of them is an old friend called Mr. D Foods, uh, Mr. Delivery, as it used to be called, where you used to get this menu, phone them, and they would deliver. There's now an app. So download it both on um, Android or iOS, and you get a whole host of restaurants. They've got great connections across fast food, good food, bad food, you name it, depending on what your take is. Um, 
And it's really a really simple intuitive app to use. It gives you a bit of timing in terms of when the food's going to arrive. The menus are all there. And the pricing is actually very, very, very good. So Mr. D Foods, just look for it in the Android App Store or the Android Play Store or the iOS App Store. Um, download it and try it out. You'll be pretty, pretty impressed with the quality of that of that that app in terms of the range and the pricing. The other one, which is much newer and is not available in as many places, is the Uber Eats app. Now, Uber Eats is specifically the same people who do Uber. It has brought a whole new sort of dimension to the Uber. Oh dear, my, my Uber Eats app, I just wanted to uh, get it to work, uh, decided that I was unauthorized and decided that I'm not... Uh, definitely going to be the guy who can use it. But Uber Eats is simply another app that you can download. Very nice graphical interface, easy to use, great selection of restaurants in most of the major cities, Johannesburg, Durban, Cape Town, Port Elizabeth. You can obviously order, and in a typical Uber fashion, you can track your driver from the time he leaves with your food till the time he gets to your door. So, I found that their menus are not exactly the same as the menus in the restaurants themselves. They also are often slightly more expensive, but they do guarantee in some cases up to 20-minute delivery. That depends on the restaurant. You can try it out yourself. And um, it really works extremely well. I've used it quite a few times. Uh, I've never had a problem that it works like an absolute bomb. And uh, the range is interesting. The foods, generally, depending on which restaurant, good. And only once did I have a problem with it being slightly delayed. And I've heard of one person where the Uber driver decided to go and drop someone off, pick some food up, and brought the food cold, which was never cool. Though one little complaint to Uber, and they refunded the user completely. So great two apps, definitely good for the holiday season when you really don't feel like getting out. Try them. Uh, I think you'll be pretty impressed. So the Uber one is easy in the App Store. You download it. And if you have Uber on your phone, it'll authenticate, except mine's not, but that's beside the point. It'll authenticate and connect through via your Uber app. So you use the same credential, same credit card and everything. And in the Play Store, the same same thing. Download it, install it, and get eating. And on that note, we're going to cut it a little bit short this week. Um, and uh, I will be back next week with more Gizmos Gadgets. And that will be my last show for the year. Unfortunately, I, or fortunately for me, I'm taking a break. Won't be doing any radio until the, I think it's the 4th of January. Well, no, not this, not the 4th. The 4th is the first week of January. It'll be the following week of January where I'll be reporting live from Las Vegas at the annual uh, Consumer Electronics Show. They don't call it that anymore. It's the CES uh, Las Vegas, and it is so much more than a consumer show. Bell helicopters are going to be exhibiting there. God knows what they're going to be exhibiting, but I think that's quite something. Bell helicopters are exhibiting at CES. Certainly going to go to their stand, see what they're trying to show. But apart from that, there's a host of car manufacturers with all the latest car tech, all the latest consumer tech from washing machines to tumble dryers to you name it. Um, there's even in Aircraft tech, so the next generation of stuff you'll see when you next take your long transatlantic flight anywhere or any whatever you do. So stay tuned. Uh, next week, I'll try to give you a little bit of preview of that. But after that, we will be back early in the new year uh, with a live show from Las Vegas. And I must tell you, 
I don't think an hour will be enough time to discuss all the stuff I will have seen because it starts on the Monday, um, runs through to the Saturday, but certainly uh, by Thursday I will have seen more tech than any human being has any right to see in one space at one time. So till next week, this is Stephen Ambrose on High FM for Tech Talk.